Hey everybody, welcome to the Ironworks Podcast. I'm Pastor Tyler. And I'm Zach. And we are concluding today, and we really mean it this time, <laughs> uh, our six-part series on, well, it was mostly related to the covenants, the old and the new covenant, and how they relate to each other. And I've enjoyed how we've had a rather sprawling discussion related to this topic. We talked about, uh, first of all, where do we get the law from? What is the nation of Israel? What's the difference between the old and new covenant? What's the same? What's different? And then we talked about uh, the current state of God's chosen people, which is Israel. And today we're going to complete what we intended to do in one episode last time, which is we're going to talk about the future of Israel and what God has planned for them. And just to summarize for us, Zach, uh, we believe that there is still a plan remaining for the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, in, in an ethnic and national sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we believe that, you know, because we see it in Scripture. You know, we're going through, in our church, we're going through the book of Revelation verse by verse. And um, sure seems clear to me that unless you're going to decide at the beginning of Revelation that any time Israel's mentioned, it means something else— you see Israel in the book of Revelation. It talks about the Jews. It talks about that. It talks about things that are happening globally. And then it specifically says, and this is what's going on in Israel. So um, seems to me very clear from scripture that God still, there's unfinished business uh, with them. And I think we can also see that from a good study of prophecy too. You know, if you study prophecy, you can see prophecies that are fulfilled, right? That Jesus, okay, Jesus fulfilled that one. That happened at Jesus' first coming. But there's a lot of prophecies that were given specifically to Israel right? To, to God's chosen yes. people that you don't see where they've been fulfilled yet. And so to me, if, if we believe that God stands by his word and he, he does fulfill his, his prophecies, then I think it stands to reason that we should look at those things and say, well, you know, as we've said before several times in talking about this, well, Jesus fulfilled a lot of prophecies, literally. So it seems like we'd expect the rest of them to be fulfilled in some real actual way, right? Right. And, and, and the, it's pretty plain that when God gives a prophecy, it's fulfilled much more literally than we tend to think. You don't get very many like, wow, I didn't see that coming hmm. prophecy. That, that's sort of like a trope of uh, like, you know, fantasy novels where like <laughs> there's an ancient prophecy, like when Eowyn yeah. kills the witch king right. and she's, you know, Surprise. no man can kill me. Oh, I am no man. Whoa. Right. It's like, it, that's not how it happens in the Bible. It's like God said it and it happened exactly that way. And I would even add, it's not even just that there are prophecies that have been unfulfilled. It's that God, there are promises that God made to Israel. These, these no matter what mm -hmm. promises that there will come a day when you guys are going to abandon me and scatter me, and yet it doesn't matter how bad you sinned, I will bring you back. Yep. And we've looked at all that in great detail. And uh, if you want to go back and, and take a listen, you can. I'm sure we'll, we'll hit on some of it today. But, uh, you know, Jeremiah 31 is the, the classic one for me where he says, if you can change my covenant with night and day or with the sun and the moon and the stars, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Like there, there's no sin that they can be commit. Right. They can commit that will take them out of that covenant because the covenant was by grace, and, and that's so key to know. And that's part of the reason we discussed the continuities. That yes, the old covenant was a covenant of works, but the promise was a promise of faith and a promise of grace. Right? The Lord said, "It's not because you're greater in number, or because of anything you've done that I chose you, but because I've set my love upon you." And that's why. So we're gonna look at that today. We're gonna look at it. We're gonna address some contemporary issues that uh, maybe you have questions about and are in the news quite a bit. Hmm. Romans eleven verse one, Paul says, "I ask then, has God rejected His people? By no means." 
Same thing as when he said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. That's megenoita in Greek. It means God forbid. May it never be that God would reject his people. Unless you should say, well, he's talking about all of his people. He's talking about the spiritual house. he, He continues that verse and says, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Israel. Right. Seems specific. Tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. So we're talking about according to the right. flesh here. And yeah. that is the main difference between a dispensational theologian and a covenant theologian. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's methodology that's in there. There's how you break down the end times in history. But really one of the key issues is, uh, is Israel distinct from the church? And we believe that that is, in fact, the case. Yeah. And, you know, it seems to me, we talked about this last time, it seems to me pretty clear when you look through, especially chapter 11 in Romans, he, he uses a lot of very specific language to indicate that he's talking about, you know, his people, the Jews, right? If he wanted to talk about spiritual Israel, there's ways to talk about that, but he chose not to do that. And so, yeah, we, we do we do have every reason, I think, scripturally to believe. And and, and look, I, I could be wrong, but I would be surprised I would have questions of the Lord. I'd say, Lord, wait a second. Like here and here and here, I would be very confused, I think, scripturally to 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 see something different that God said, no, none of those are true. And and again, we talked about that God ties his character many times in scripture to his dealings with his covenant people, right? He says, look, this is what I'm going to do because of who I am. So it would it changes who God is if he changes how he behaves towards people that he makes a covenant with. And that's why we that's why we hold to that. Yeah, and this should not be confused with the doctrine of the remnant that Paul draws out in Romans and is elsewhere in the Bible when mm-hmm. he says, now not everybody who is of the house of Israel is a true Israelite. Right. You've got to, you've got to recognize that Paul is making two different points here. He, he's saying yep. that just because you are of the house of Israel does not mean that you will be part of that spiritual house of Israel. But at the same time, he makes it clear that the that house, that physical house of Israel will never perish. That the reason there is a spiritual remnant is in order to preserve the physical nation. That's actually that, I want that's camp, so key. You've I want to camp that. out on that for a minute, Tyler, because I think that's actually a very important misunderstood point that causes a lot of people to mess up here. So a lot of times you'll hear people who they look at the current spiritual state of Israel now and they say, Well, but look. Like, look, they're, they're not following God. Look, they're, they're doing bad things. Or look, I disagree with this political thing. Or this is terrible. Or, so how can you say that, they're God's, that God is keeping his covenant with them? To which I say, is it not always true that God has had two groups, basically, when he talks about his people? He's talked about the house of Israel, meaning all of the ethnic people, my chosen people who I have, have picked, right? And then he talks about a remnant all the time. And the remnant were always people who were following the Lord in their hearts, not just, you know, showing up and being of the house of Israel doing the sacrifices. They were following the Lord, seeking him in their hearts. So it's very important because people will point that. And I think it's kind of a red herring. They'll say, well, look, look, they're not, they're not spiritually doing what they should be doing to which we say, yeah, we know, like, of yeah, course when did, not. When did they ever all exactly you know, keep it? They, they've we never. We read in Deuteronomy where he's like, and yet I know that as soon as I'm gone, you're going to go right back exactly to these right. things. So it's very, that's a very important doctrine, the understanding that God is able God is able to see the two things at once. He can see the house of Israel, who he's made promises to, that include national and even political things. But he's also then saying, and yet you're not being obedient, and so I'm preserving this remnant that just like in the times of the prophets, God said, I'm going to spare you from judgment yet because I know there's still some people following me. And that's the same as the case today. There's a remnant of Jews now following their Messiah in Israel. And I would argue that they're spiritually protecting and enriching and you know preparing 
the, the God's chosen people for the time when they all return and, 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 you know, look on him whom they've pierced. So yes. no, nothing really different from what we've always seen in the Old Testament. And all those things you just obliquely referenced and alluded to, we are all going to discuss today in some detail. So uh, let's, let's pick up where we left off. We talked about at the end um, what we call the desolation of Israel. And that mm-hmm. is a term that I have coined because I think there are a lot of Bible passages that include that word. And I think it is such an important concept in the Bible that I've not seen developed to my liking. So we went ahead and did it here. It's not that anybody disagrees, but I, I think that I think sometimes the fact that there is a, what was often called a parenthesis or a, a um, you know, a break in God's plan with Israel, there was, but it was not unprophesied. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not, you know, unaddressed in scripture. It was, oh, wow, nobody saw this coming. It's like, well, no, Hosea saw it coming, and Daniel saw it coming, and Jesus saw it coming, and those are the three main passages that we addressed. But this is what we're living in right now, is that God, after Jesus was crucified by the Romans, but also by the Jews, who voluntarily, through their leaders, placed the blood of Jesus upon themselves and said, we will have no king but Caesar, John 19, you can read that. And after that, 40 years after that, uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. And Israel was scattered all over the world. And God began to use a Gentile church to save the nations, to take the knowledge of God and the scriptures and the Messiah and all of that around the world, to do everything he promised to do through Israel without them. Mm-hmm. In order, the word says, to provoke them to jealousy. Right. Uh, that we saw in Romans eleven twenty five, And I, let me just read this verse again because it is so key. And, and we cannot miss this one. Because uh, Paul says, lest you be wise in your own sight. Don't be wise in your own sight when it comes to Bible prophecy, man. Like, what does the Bible say? I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That Israel has been partially hardened. That means there will be no national revival under the sovereignty of God. However, of course, individual Jews are able to be saved and, in fact, ought to be evangelized. That's the gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Greek. You can press that too far, but there it is still. Mm-hmm. Until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So this is what is referred to not just as the desolation of Israel, but also the times of the Gentiles. That's the, the designation that Paul gives, that the world has moved out of what you could call the times of ignorance, the dispensation of ignorance uh, under the false gods that they were worshiping. That's Acts chapter 17 when he was in Athens talking about this. To now this this time of the Gentiles, this time of grace, the dispensation of grace. Uh, and that whereas before Israel was walking in the light while the rest of the world was in darkness, the opposite of that is the case right now. That Israel has had their hearts hardened like Pharaoh's heart was hardened. There's certainly irony intended there in the Bible when it talks about the hardness of Israel's heart. And the, the church is being saved. So that's where we left it off is at the end of verse 25. And um, that is really how we have to evaluate why things have changed. Because, Zach, many people will take the time. Maybe you can speak to this. Take the time and say, well, look, the church has been around for 2,000 years and the Jews have never come over except in small numbers. Therefore, that's how we know God is done and finished with them. But that was precisely exactly what the Bible told us to expect. Yeah, it's is just it not? a fulfillment of prophecy. I mean, you can point to that and say, exactly. So therefore, if, if, if what God said was going to happen so far has happened, should we not expect the final things to start happening? 
right? Because so far we're, we're following right along with the prophetic path that that God said is going to happen with His people Israel. They're going to be hardened. They're they're going to be they're going to miss it. They're going to get jealous because of all these things that are happening with their scriptures, right? People mm-hmm. people are going to be reached by their scriptures and meeting their Messiah without them, right? And so yeah, the, the, this should not it shouldn't surprise us the the things that we see. And and uh, to me. It's a little confusing, honestly, why people keep saying those same things as if it like proves anything biblically. They'll say, well, right now, but right now, and we've talked about this already some, so I don't want to get into it too much, but they'll say, right, well, right now the Jews are, are you know, being disciplined. They're being judged. So that means that God's forsaken them. No, it just means God's judging them like exactly the way he said he would. Sometimes people will get cute and they'll say, well, they didn't, aban- God didn't forsake them. They forsook God. But God already said that was going to happen. Yeah, he said, you're going to abandon exactly me. And yet, right. He said, yeah, you're going to do all these things, but here's what I'm going to do. Right. And so. We've already hit this. We don't need to nail it too much more, but I think it is important, like you said, to notice that this is what's going on. And it should, by the way, we don't need to minimize it either. We don't need to say, oh, no, it's fine. Like everything is going well. No, it's a tragic state currently that God's chosen people are in. They are on the outside. Desolation. Yeah, they're on the outside watching. And this is where you sometimes you can almost, I want to be careful how I say this. It's possible sometimes to overplay your hand theologically sometimes when you're trying to combat replacement theology because you end up not wanting to say things because they don't sound right, but they're biblical. For example, uh, right now, many of the promises that God wants to fulfill with his chosen people, Israel, like you said, are being fulfilled by the church. Yes. That, that's yeah, a fair, that's, in, you know, in part, yes. the, in part. And so you, now that doesn't mean that we've replaced them, but it's important to acknowledge that God wanted to come and dwell with his people, Israel. God God told them, I, I'm going to take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And all those things he's now doing in the predominantly Gentile church. So, yes. so we don't we don't need to pretend that's not happening, right? Or 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 say or, or minimize that. But we also don't need to see that happening and say, therefore, because Paul specifically said, Hey, 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 that's all happening. Don't you get arrogant. Yes. And think that because you've received this blessing of getting getting brought into these blessings that the chosen people are supposed to be enjoying, that you somehow supplant them now. Yeah. And that's the, that's the whole uh, image of the, the, the grafting into mm-hmm. the wild olive tree. Right. And we talked about this last week, too. But people will say, well, we're, we're, endure- we're uh, enjoying all these benefits of the king that was promised to Israel. It's it's like, true. You're right. But we looked at this last time. The theology of that is we are experiencing the foretaste of these things right that the the consummation has not come the end has not come yet all those things all the blessings and promises to the church have not been fulfilled now some people get really agitated when you say that we have everything in christ we have every blessing in jesus delicately no you don't right you are waiting for jesus to return first of all we have the, the kingdom on the has not come yeah. right He's you already have said this, that you have yeah. the seal of the spirit but yeah. the bible says we're still groaning yeah. and waiting for the redemption of our bodies because what we're waiting for is the fullness of the gentiles to come in the lord to return his attention to israel and when he fulfills all the promises to them then the rest of us will receive the fullness of those promises. Yeah. Everything we in the spirit we need. And you know, everything heard, in the flesh, we don't have it yet because we're waiting for that part to be realized. And I've heard those same things, Todd. People will mock, you know, dispensationally, they'll, they'll mock and they'll say, so you really, it all has to be, it's, it's all about flesh with you guys. It's all about a fleshly kingdom and a this and a that. And it's like, well, hang on a second. I What I'm, all I'm saying is, Yes, amen. Let, let's have the church advance and the kingdom of God move forward, the spiritual kingdom of God, right? Which right now is not going to be predominantly a political thing or a national thing. However, 
there are promises about God descending, splitting the Mount of Olives open and ruling with a rod of iron from Jerusalem. I want to see that. I yeah. want that to actually be the way that things are. That's how, I'll, you know, the, the, there will be no peace until the Prince of Peace is here. And in order for that to happen, scripturally, there has to be a mending of relationship between the Messiah and his chosen people. So to me, I don't think it's wrong biblically to want that. It's not making lesser what we're experiencing now, but just like you said, the Bible's clear that it's not complete yet. Why We wouldn't have the book of Revelation if there weren't a need for a completion that we're looking forward to. And some of that completion, to me, I don't know how you read scripture any other way, involves like geographical locations on the globe that God yeah. makes clear are going to be the seat of his, you know, his kingdom. And so to me, I, I, I don't find a need to sugarcoat that or sidestep but it seems like that's what it says yeah and i, I made this point a minute ago but just to give you a specific example of what i mean uh, when people will say well but under solomon israel achieved all the promises that they would uh have their borders and their boundaries hold on it's not yes, true <laughs> well hold on yeah Ye e yes there is a verse in there where it says that they they achieved all their their boundaries but even that is irrelevant because the question is not did they receive it it's I gave this to you as a how long possession? Right, eternal. An everlasting yeah. eternal possession, once and for all. And unless that means something else, and unless God has decided to change his covenant with the sun, the moon, and the stars. By the way, if you're ever preaching that, that's a great time to bring in some scientific data on how secure the rotation of the sun, moon, and stars are and how easily it is to plot mathematically because that should tell you mm -hmm. that God has mathematical precision and security. So there's a free illustration for anybody that wants to preach And there's also like, you know, historically too, you can look at that. Yeah, maybe, they, maybe for a minute they possessed something close to the borders, but you can also look at the borders from previously and note that there was already kind of a shrinkage going on and they never fully yes kicked out all the tribes and they never really served the Lord. Like there was never a completion of what God wanted to do with them because of their own disobedience, not because of God's failure. Because yes. again, God keeps up his end of the, of the covenant and, and they don't. Yeah, that is true. And, but what I'm, what I'm trying to get at with this is I don't think that, I think that is true, but I don't I know that is as strong an argument in favor of, right. of uh, the uniqueness of Israel and the continued work as, as the promise. Because if you say, you. well, it was fulfilled. Well, we can debate over that. What we cannot debate over is, right. but this there's no time on this. There's no clock on this. You know, if if you read, we're going to read it in a little bit here in Deuteronomy where it talks about the coming new covenant. I'll just read it now because we've actually already gotten into that some. But in Deuteronomy 30, this is coming right after all the blesses, blessings and curses that are supposed to come upon Israel when they rebel. Moses says, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I've set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God, you and your children and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there, the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will take you and the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed that you may possess it and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live so look he's saying there's going to come a day that if you it doesn't matter where I've scattered you I could scatter you all over the face of the globe which you might even argue that was never fulfilled until post cross right that right. they were certainly yes. scattered farther and still Correct. are and when you repent I'm going to restore you 
So that is that how is that not in effect? You have to ask. Right. You know, how is that that truth no longer in effect? And I we've already we've hit this hard enough now. So <laughs> I want to start talking about where we are right now. So we talk about, okay, this is the desolation of Israel, that we are waiting for the end to come when they will be brought back. So Paul said in Romans eleven twenty five that until the fullness of, of the Gentiles has come in, and the Lord Jesus said that your house is left to you desolate until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Deuteronomy says, I will restore your fortunes when you call upon me with all your heart. So the question becomes, Zachary, what would it take for modern day Judaism to convert to Jesus, to start to start calling upon <laughs> well, Jesus as Messiah and ask for him to help them? Yeah, because that's the the condition, so to speak. And there's grace involved here. We'll get to that, but that's what Jesus said. When you say that, then I'll restore you. When your hearts are 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 going to call out to me, then I will do this for you. Yeah, but we've, we've already touched on this last week too, or last time the the. The challenge here is that they, the, the Jewish people have spent centuries fortifying themselves intellectually, you know, religiously, theologically against accepting Jesus. They, they've, they've, the, the rabbinical tradition has put layer on layer of arguments that they have all schooled themselves in. You know, there's even such sad things as there, there's whole passages in Isaiah and other places that are not read by, you know, yeshiva students, is my understanding, that are not read by them because they are too they seem too much like they indicate. People that, might get the wrong idea and yeah, think that Jesus is the Messiah. That's exactly right. And so there's there's all this, you know, because again, you, you these are smart people. They're aware of Jesus. <laughs> they they know who Jesus is and they've been working very hard to, to say, no, that's not our Messiah. We're looking for another one. So it's it's an existential question for Jews. And I don't want to be really clear what I what I mean when I say that it's that is tied to their identity is we we follow not Jesus. We follow Judaism as distinct from Christianity. So it would be a massive thing for the entire people to, to for, you know, for my people in a sense, like, you know, my grandfather's people for them to all look and say, yes, we accept that we have been wrong. It would be seismic as a, as a, as a nation, as an ethnicity that they would all come and change their mind. It, it would be just like, what if, you know, it's like asking the question, well, what, what would it take from, for all of Islam to decide that Muhammad was a false prophet? I mean, yeah. that's, that's what we're talking about. Yes. Well, it would take you seismic was a good word. It would take a pretty good shaken. Yeah. And, uh, that is exactly what the Bible describes. So now we're going to start getting into some end times prophecy here. Uh, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, we need to go back to Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, he is given a prophecy from an angel that says there are 70 weeks decreed for your people and the holy city. So that's the Jews, Israel. It's greater than just the Jews. It's all 12 tribes, the Bible tells us. And Jerusalem, the city. And he says, what's it going to take for these 70 weeks? That It's for all of it to come to an end. Mm -hmm. And he said, 69 weeks. And these weeks, the word is just seven. It's understood to be weeks of years. Right. So he said, for after 69 weeks, which is 483 years, an anointed one, a Messiah, shall be cut off and have nothing. We know when that happened. It was when Jesus was crucified. Right? He was cut off and he had nothing. And he rose from the dead. This passage does not address that, but it's in there, of course. And the people of the prince who is to come, this is not the Jesus the king, this is the Antichrist. The Antichrist's people who is to come, which is so important that 
This is how we know this is to be future because the prince is still to come. The Antichrist has not come yet, Correct. but his people will destroy the city, Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, the temple. We also know when that happened. Yeah. That happened in 70 AD, finishing in 73 AD, 40 years after Jesus's life, death, and ministry. Its end shall come with a flood. To the end, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Okay. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. So he, who's that? The prince who is to come. come. Yeah. So that there's one more week left is what we're getting at here. That this pause that we've discussed last time, this the desolation of Israel will last until the next thing we're looking for is the prince who is to come to make a covenant with many for one week, for seven years. And this seven-year period in the Bible is described as the tribulation. This is John's word. It's also Jesus' word in the Olivet Discourse. And this is kind of the, the shorthand that we use to describe it. That there will be a day where an evil empire shall arise called Babylon, led by a man whom the Bible calls the Antichrist, among other things. And one of the things he will do is he will establish a covenant with many people for seven years. So, all right. That includes, the next thing he says, after half a week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. So this means that there's going to be a covenant made with the, with the Jews, with the children of Israel, and it will involve the temple in some way because there has to be a temple to defile. So this tells us a few things, Zach, that if we're looking for the final seven years of Israel's history to be fulfilled, it, that, the, the starting gun for that time period right. presupposes a nation... Right. And a temple. Right. Now, for 2,000 years, there was no nation. Correct. But now there is. So what happened? <laughs> a lot of things <laughs> happened. Um, and it's also important to note that, you know, this is this has been a theological question that people have asked all 2,000 years. There's been lots of people that at, at the beginning of that time, basically after the diaspora, people started saying, well, that's it. You know, it's it's us now. Very early, this theology came into the church, which is unfortunate. Yeah, the, Do you know when it really started to come into its own? Uh, is is the, the when, swing of when, when Constantine correct yeah. uh, established Christianity as the, the Rome became national the religion? Yeah. That it became. What are we waiting for the the kingdom to come? It's come. Right. The world yes. empire is a Christian empire now. Right. You can understand their I, their joy, and I I don't I don't do like some. I don't denigrate that. That was a wonderful thing that that happened. Sure. That the greatest kingdom on all earth acknowledged Jesus as its Lord and Savior. Yeah. Yeah. With all the hypocrisy and stuff that came later, I understand that. But that, that's a great victory. You can understand, although not excuse, right. why they would begin to reinterpret prophecy in that way. They so sorry, did. it's a little, little uh, side no, note important. there, but I think so, it's interesting. Uh, throughout church history, there's been this debate, literally throughout church history, this debate of, well, well, is that, you know, what what happens now, right? And and some, but there were always some people who said, no, no, God's prom just God doesn't make mistakes. Just because it looks that way now doesn't mean that God can't fix it at some point. And you know, there are there are teachers that you can read. If I recall, is it I don't know if it's Spurgeon, but there's one or a couple of the uh, there, there's a great quote from Spurgeon where he he says that there, there Spurgeon, are, that this passage meaning presupposes that one day there will be a regathering right. of Israel. And he's basically saying, and I remember this is Spurgeon in the 1800s, and he's saying, look, that that there's no way that can happen right now, but I'm just saying this is what the Bible says, so this is what Let's we see should... see if I can pull that up. Yeah. I, I might get it in So he's minute, saying this ahead. is what we should look forward to. Um, so, so there have always been people who have taught that. Now, for a long, long time, though, if you thought that, you were considered, well, okay, that's his kind of crazy idea, but it, it, where would you see evidence of that? It was it, considered as carnal. 
Yeah, like yeah. you're you're not interpreting according. You're to just the looking spirit, for right? for a, yeah for to, for the eyes well, of for, you know. forgive us for taking the Bible <laughs> literally, um, <laughs> and, literally right? And, yeah, and and so which you know, but you could also forgive people who would look at Israel for two thousand years and say, well, it's pretty much just a, a a dump right now. There's no no, and I I I mean that like there was basically nothing there <laughs> for a long. Even you can find photos, guys, of you know of Jerusalem in the early 1900s. And there's just the Dome of the Rock and basically nothing. I mean, there, there was not anything in, in the place for a long time. And so when all of this kind of seemed like a weird pipe dream for a long time of, well, yeah, when would that ever happen? How would that happen? There's never been a time in history where a nation is completely wrecked and exits their homeland and then somehow that gets put back together. And even manages to preserve their culture. Right, which like, usually that that's happen. it. Yeah, you're scattered and that's you're done. However... Beginning in the early 1900s, there begins, and if it sounds like I'm really getting into this, this is kind of my deal. It's like it's, it's exciting. history and this stuff. Is good you know? stuff. You yeah, need to so, know this. There's so much. Oh, I hate using this term, but like, there's so much bad information. I almost said misinformation or fake news. Uh, right bad there, is fine. Yeah, bad is fine. There's yeah, just, just a lot of bad info on this poor, topic that poor just gets history. Yeah. memed out instead oh, of, of actually listening. Yeah. So people hear a, a sentence that sounds smart and they just say it over and over without going back and finding, well, wait, who who said that or how yeah. do I know that, right? So a little before World War One, yeah, something yes. started to stir. So what was it? Well, basically there, there's, there's still these strong Jewish populations throughout Europe and they haven't quit being Jews. They, a lot of times they would get, you know, ethnically segregated into these, you know, little <clears throat> ghettos or pogroms or whatever. And, and so they always throughout European history, the Jews were always kind of this persecuted off to the side, weird people. Well, they're over there and we don't like them, but there they are. Right. And so there's this beginning of this self identity where European Jews say, hang on a second. Like all these other, this was, remember the early 1900s is this time of revolutions and and nations remaking themselves and there's this spirit that's going Incredible on. Incredible optimism about yeah. the world at this time. And this thought of like, hey, well, we could we can do anything, right? We could just, we can make a new country, sure. So there's Jews led by men like Theodor Herzl and, and other people in the early 1900s who are saying, well, why can't we do that? Why can't we have a homeland? Why can't we get get back to actually being a, a in our own place? And it did, that didn't always mean Israel. There was proposals that were floated around where it was like maybe it's somewhere i you know there have been various ones there's even um even as late as the 30s i think there was a suggestion that the jews be relocated to alaska and there's a jewish guy who wrote a science fiction book about it recently where, where like supposing well, what would have happened if all the jews went to alaska instead so none of this was like solidified it was just floating around as this crazy idea yeah there's some jews who think that they're going to rebuild their homeland but this started becoming presented as a possibility to major European governments, especially the Zionist Britain. movement is yes. what we're talking about. Here. So Zionists started to say, you know, in France and in Britain and places, hey, well, what could you do this for us? Because you got to remember, these are yeah. predominantly Christian nations where these kind of big movements are happening. We just finished deciding that all through, you know, late 1800s, we decided that all through, well, it's early 1800s in Britain, but like all through the world, we're not going to have the slave trade. Well, that was a pretty massive shakeup. If we can yep. do that, what else can we do? You know, is this attitude? Well, this starts to be getting the ear of of major political figures in the early 1900s in Britain. And, you, you know, we're compressing this a lot. But basically yeah. what happens is there's believers 
in the British government who say, you know what, not only is this a thing that could happen, we want, we're going to do this. We're going to find a way to do this. And they start drawing up these different things. The Balfour Declaration is a major document that you'll uh, that hear was about. The, that was the big one. Yeah. That was when they, they pretty much formally committed themselves under uh, Lloyd George, David Lloyd George, who was a prime minister of, mm -hmm. of Israel. Right. Or of, Israel, of England. Right. Uh, who uh, saw himself as a second Cyrus Mm -hmm. He saw himself as I'm going to be. He was a believer. He and and it's, it's interesting. A lot of the criticism of Lloyd George at this time was he's bringing his religion into the politics. Yeah, right. He thinks he's going to be some sort of prophet because he says I saw in the Bible that Cyrus was the one that allowed the Jews to go home, and I'm going to do the same thing. Right. So uh, that's pretty amazing. But what they did is Arthur Balfour was the Secretary of State or something like that I'm at, actually not at this sure. time. But no. they made a declaration that we're going to help Israel right. get the Jews. Worldwide Jewry shall yeah. find a, a home in in Israel, in Palestine. And at the I was time, fascinating which about was a this. wasteland, as you said, and nobody wanted it. And nobody it's was governed by the it. Ottomans, yeah. right? So it's yeah. kind of a big deal. It's like, well, how is that going to happen? Like the the Ottomans were called, like, you know, the sick man of, of Europe. So they were they were kind of they weren't doing yeah, they very were well. But it's still, hey, it's Ottoman territory. How is that going to change? Well, World War One changes a ton of stuff. And one of the biggest yes. things that happened is the Ottomans get smashed. And they give up a bunch of their land. The The whole area that was called Palestine at the time it essentially now becomes a British possession. And if you've ever watched um, Lawrence of Arabia, which is a really classic movie about British guys kind of riding around in the Ottoman Empire as it's falling apart and trying to decide, well, what do we do now? And this became kind of a this became kind of a question that the British had is well now we've in, we've got all this land and there's a bunch of people that live here and they've got ideas about what to do. How are we going to carve it all up? And that, that happened with a bunch of the different Arab states, and it started to happen in Palestine, where there's this there's suddenly a possibility that you could redraw the map and make this into a homeland for, for the Jews in a way that wasn't possible for a long, long time before. Which is exactly what they did, is rewrite yeah. the map. It's exactly that's, right. Without getting into this rabbit trail, like that's why you see so much uh, hostility in the Arab world or yes. the Islamic world, because these, these places were not countries. No. Until, you know, France and England and, you know, the winners of World War One sat down and just kind of like sketched it out. Said, all right, that's you're exactly a question. what happened. And that's that's yes. there. I've heard some people argue rather persuasively, in my opinion, that this is why you get so many dictators in this part of the world. Yes. Because in order to hold it together, you need somebody like Saddam Hussein. You know, I, that doesn't make it a good thing, but and that's the, that's what happened. And that's, I, but part of that process was carving out the traditional homeland, the mm -hmm. actual land of Israel for the Jews. And this, you know, we're going to have to speed this process up a little sure, bit sure. here, but th this led to uh, after, you know, this kind of happened and it started to proceed, but it really wasn't going that fast. And, you know, there were some that were moving there, but it hadn't really quite taken off. Right. But there was something else that motivated the Israelites, the children of Israel to go back to the land. And that was the Holocaust. Yeah, that was absolutely. the Nazis driving, of course, the the Jews out of their homes, putting them in concentration camps, murdering them, gassing them, all that that terrible thing. And it, it I actually have been reading a, a book on this recently. And one of the sad things about it was that part of what was happening when Hitler was in, invading Czechoslovakia and these other countries is the Jews were fleeing to Israel and they were thereby under the protectorate of England. Correct. And Neville Chamberlain, who, of course, is the great appeaser and one of the big 
you know, ball fumblers of all history, <laughs> uh, s- started to mess with the Balfour Declaration and mm-hmm. say, well, they, they, it has to depend upon you know, a plebiscite of the people that lived there, which was extremely ne- negligible at the time, and started adding all these qualifications to their commitment. And then, but once the the Holocaust ended, I mean, it's no secret to any of you here that Jews are not exactly the most beloved people in the world, historically speaking. Right. But when the Holocaust is over and everybody sees what had happened, the immense wave of support that came out for the Jews enabled a a substantial group of people to move there and establish, uh, start to establish their own homeland, uh, which brings us up to around 1948. And Zach, I'll let you pick up the story here because that's a very significant date that you ought to know as a, as a Bible student. All this, and all this history is important, guys, because so many people are going to try, you know, and maybe you've had this happen online. I know you have. So many people are going to try and tell you just big, bold statements about, well, this is what happened or that's what happened. And they're not, they're neglecting all of this context. So you need to understand as a believer that, yes, an incredibly messy, crazy process, literally involving some people writing on a map, big boundaries, created a possibility for the Jews, you know, in God's sovereignty, created a possibility for them to go back to their homeland. And the minute that happened, there started to be fighting yes. instantly, right? And so this, the, you need to understand that because some people will try and throw that in your face as if that somehow proves that this isn't of God. Well, I, I just simply beg to differ. God has always throughout history used messy people and messy circumstances to accomplish his will. It's no different here. One of, and, and instantly what happens is the second that the British closed down what's called the mandate, which was basically British control over Palestine, they said, look, y- y'all, you sit down over there, you sit down over here, no fighting, right? And the problem is, of course, nobody wanted to agree to that. Um, and so as soon as the British begin to leave Palestine and let go of control, Instantly, the surrounding nations, the surrounding Arab nations, begin a campaign to push the brand new state of Israel off into the Mediterranean Sea. Um, this is not, I don't think, even disputed by any real historians. I mean, this is this is what happened. Um, there's many disputes about some of the events that happened within that, what's called the 1948 War for Israeli Independence, um, or called Al-Nakba, um, is, the, is the Arab designation, which means I think the disaster. Um, so it's basically what happens is that all these countries try and wage war on Israel and Israel wins, Yeah. which I, you look, you don't have to take it from me. Go read some excellent history of this period. Read Martin Gilbert, read Stephen, uh, well not Steve, I'm sorry. Stephen Pressfield has a book about the six day war, but that's a fiction. Uh, no, Pressfield has a nonfiction book though about the six day war, which is very, does he good. really? Yes, oh, he does. Okay. It's excellent. Um, read some solid historians about this time. And I don't know, I don't use this word in history a lot because I think you have to be careful using it. I don't know another way to describe this conflict other than miraculous. It simply should not happen that Israel was able to survive that that conflict. They were not getting help. In fact, the mandate, the British mandate, made it illegal for other countries to try and reach out and help them. So they basically didn't have any real support. And yet they were able to sustain that period and, and remain in the land and, and hold it and hang on to this tiny yeah. little country that they have. 1948, they win their independence. And even the the fact that we, we use this term Palestine, that did that begin under Rome? When yes. they begin, they, so they, that they out of, as a pretty much as an act of of uh, insult to the Israel. Palestine is related to the word Philistine, right? It was to, it was you know, to that, demoralize was, the people, and they they renamed it and said, no, now it's called Philistia, basically. Yeah, Pal- we're going to rename Palestine. it, right? Because this isn't your land. So that's Correct. why sometimes I even chafe under the use of the term Palestine because it almost feels like ceding the language over. But that is what we're what it is described yeah. today. So 1948, they win their independence. And there's, you know, they now all of a sudden 
What did we say? For the last seven years to, to happen, it pre I don't want to say must have happened because nothing has to happen for God's prophecies to be fulfilled. He can do them in his it own sure time. It sure seemed like. <laughs> but it presupposes mm -hmm. a nation. Right. And now there is one. Correct. And uh, that that is just remarkable. And that shocked the whole world. And boy, you talk about a shot in the arm to dispensational and pre-trib theology. <laughs> well, yeah. I like, mean, okay, of all course. of a sudden, these people that were regarded as, as kind of outside the mainstream. Yeah. They, were they right about this? Mm -hmm. And I I can't remember who said this. It might have been Randall Price, actually, the guy from Liberty, in one of his mm. books, where he said, um, it might not have been him. It, this was quoted in one of my books, but he said that covenant theology is still trying to recover and is still scrambling after Israel became a nation again. And they kind of talked about how it has moved, how it's you know, dispensational, basically a view of Israel in that way has spread so rapidly that it's very unlikely that as time goes on, that these other views will survive because so many of them were based on a common sense. Look at the world. Just kind of pointing at the you world know, and saying, right. well, and, yeah, of course we don't want to have a common sense. Well, look, Israel's right there. It has to mean something, but boy, it sure makes an awful lot more sense that now there's a nation yeah. again here. And, um, well, and that's, that's the crazy thing, too, is you got to understand, you got to, I think I can see giving some grace to our brothers and sisters who are covenant theologians, because for so long, this looked so crazy, such a long shot, even in 48, okay, they've, okay, now they're a country, but they don't have control of the Temple Mount, so they'll never be a temple, right? They, they don't have control of Jerusalem, yeah, that's that, not their that capital. Was, was that 67 uh, when that happened? It doesn't change until 67, when they retake Jerusalem, the, again, major incursion by different um, Arab nations that causes them to basically have to fight a, a survival war again. six-day war. Right. And so they called. very rapid campaign where they break several different militaries and, and actually regain, take new ground after being attacked. So again, these are, these are really crazy conflicts that I think just point to the fact that, look, is, is all the work finished? No, but God is clearly doing something. God's doing something weird here, right? Um, that just isn't normal. That doesn't happen in, in normal history. So well, yeah, now at this point where we're, what we are, we're at now is after all of this, you know, going from a time where this was literally on somebody's drawing board in, in Europe somewhere, there is now a country that didn't exist, you know, for, for a couple thousand years and actually multiple countries, by the way, because it's important to remember, some people will throw this at you and they'll say, we'll see, you know, they dispossessed all the people that were there. Look, the British mandate included the creation of Jordan, which was not a country before for and yes. was designed to accommodate the people that needed a place to be. Yeah. Now let me, this is important. Let me ask you, know, you this question. About. I'm not yeah. as, as well versed in this, this subject as you are. I know the main strokes, um, but that's why I'm kind of letting Zach lead this conversation right now. But very, very often the question that is, or the solution that is proposed, well, we need a two state solution. You need to have Palestinian and, and Israel. You got to separate, have two separate countries. Sure. Now, as I understand it, Jordan is the second state. Like that was the state that was put together more or less that if you are unhappy with the Jews being given this land, here's another piece of land that is for you. Like we've done, have we, am I, there's probably more to it than that, but it sure feels like at least in one sense, we've done that. And yet it hasn't, well, welcome, it hasn't debated. Welcome the to the Middle East. There's debated. always more to it than that. But yeah, I mean, the short answer, Tyler, is yes. That, that, that Under the British mandate, there was originally a, a, larger state for Israel than is currently than is currently there and also a large state of Jordan which was created essentially to or I think it was called Transjordan originally which was created to 
be a, a large Arab state in the area that was going to function as taking care of. And, 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 you know, there was an Arab population. There was also even a small Jewish population still in Palestine at the time. So they figured, well, we've got to, we've got to provide for these people right now. And this is important to know that this has always been kind of the way that this has been going there. None of this has ever worked out the way that, you know, the, the best way that it possibly could. It has always, there's always been fractious problems, conflict, and, and, you know, you don't have to pretend that didn't happen. Again, just like when the people came into the land the first time, God's promises and God's covenant sometimes includes lots, lots of things, difficult things, war, conflict, dispossession. Those things are real. However, it's important to realize that this is, you know, there are things that people will throw out. I'll just, I'm not going to get real deep in the weeds here, but I'm going to throw out one. People will say that they will use the G word. They'll say, they say Israel has genocided, you know, large populations yeah, yeah. In, no, in the I, land. I would like to camp out on that for just a short time, yeah. actually, here. Um, because the way that that is, this is, um, this is becoming more and more common to hear even yes, from people that ought to know better yeah. that Israel genocides the the Palestinians here is how it is normally portrayed that there was a thriving wonderful Palestinian community that all these Jews came in and just wholesale slaughtered and drove out which is simply not the case now my first my first caution to all of you that are swallowing this lie is this comes first of all from the same people that think everything is oppressive genocide. That's true. They think that the whole world is a systematically oppressing entity. They, these are people that are going to cry about the patriarchy, and they're going to cry about heteronormativity, and they're going to cry about American colonialism. They're right. going to cry about, and we push back on all that stuff. And yet, for some reason, we think, oh well, but they're they're right about the Israel thing, though. It's like no, no, that's not that's not true. And I, it's it, that the whole you want to call it wokeness, critical theory movement is incredibly anti-Semitic. And it's because they, they, what do they do? They pick winners and losers. And as they understand it, they side with the losers. And if they see that Israel won this land, well, it should go back to the Muslims because Muslims are anti-Western culture and they love anti-Western culture. And that, that's just my preliminary statement is like, when it's coming from that kind of person, sorry, I'm not, I'm not listening to what you have to say. But Zach, the history here, that's not what happened. And that's not what ha is happening now. Is I have a, yeah, I have a couple of things to say. I mean, thing number one, right? So was you know historically it is very clear that yes were there people displaced during that thing yes it was a massive conflict there was a war going on people were displaced on both sides there was there was you know violence that happened on both sides of course that's that's i'm not trying to be callous when i say that but i just we have this western thing of like we, we're very um delicate when it comes to these things and we like to pretend that somehow that can be avoided we are talking about an, an active war that went on beginning in 48 and before by the way there was violence that was happening everywhere not all of that is going to appease our sensibilities yes all that happened and i also want to be tactful when i say this i mean i know people i know people who are believers who they can tr they, they they know their grandfather had a house over there and now that doesn't belong to them anymore i understand that and that that that, that individual thing can sadden you as a believer and it does me that does not mean that you have to say things that are untrue like, for example, that there has been a, a systematic campaign of, of destruction or genocide that has been carried out by the Jewish state, which is just, I, I, you may bring to me the historical proof of that and I will look at it. I have not, I don't, do not think that is true. I have also, by the way, I'm not just speaking about things that I don't know. I have been to Bethlehem. I have been to Ramallah. I have been to places in the West Bank. Those places are not now currently underneath a genocidal 
dictatorship. They are currently within a restrictive security state because of violence that breaks out whenever those security measures are lifted. Yeah, that's the thing that everybody wants to ignore is like, you know, the well, they, they bombed a city and, and civilians were harmed. It's like, well, what's the other half of that? That there were a bunch of terrorists shooting rockets out of an elementary school or something like that, or, the, or firing bombs yeah. out of a hospital. And it's like, that that's not Israel's fault for retaliating. That's their fault for putting them in that position in the first place. Because they know what the optics of these things are, and they, they're willing right. to sacrifice their own people for, for these optics. And, and, even, and it becomes a staging ground for every group in the Middle East, and there's not any shortage of them, that want to harm Israel. They, they know they can get into the West Bank, which is, as I understand it, being deliberately mismanaged, deliberately suppressed and kept down. Oh, absolutely. Because they, absolutely. they need yes. that, that international will, Certainly. and they need that money that the people at the top are getting rich off, all the support that comes in. And, and you we can shouldn't ask, fall for it. And don't take this from you know us. You go go ask if you can ask any honest broker. You you know uh, there's a podcast called Conflicted that I actually I don't recommend a whole lot. That these guys are not believers, but one of the gentlemen on there used to be with um <clears throat> with like Islamic State or or um, the Taliban or something like that. He was basically he was a terrorist. And he was he was recruited <laughs> by uh, MI6. And or MI5 or a British intelligence agency to be a double agent, and he now lives in the West. And he he they did a podcast about this conflict about the Palestinian state and all that stuff. And he said he, he did an excellent job. He basically stated he said this is still a problem because the Arab nations desire it to be so. He said if they chose to help their their brothers and and sisters in in the West Bank, he said they could they could immediately alleviate their poverty. They could take care of them. They could do any number of solutions. They are choosing to maintain. The, the situation as it is because it's beneficial to them. So I, I'm, that's not just me saying that. And, and it's well known that there are billions of dollars that flow into the West Bank and then never make it to the genuinely needy people that they're intended to go to because they're siphoned off by people who are enjoying the, the proceeds. So I, I'm not, guys, I'm not, it may sound like we're saying this to be political or weird about these things. I'm just trying to draw these lines carefully as somebody who has been there and seeing these things as somebody who has, I, I, I have friends on both sides of this conflict, but it's important for you to understand at least the ground rules, which should not be under debate, which are that this is a difficult area of the world under immense conflict, spiritual and physical, always has been and will continue until Jesus comes back. However, it's, it's pretty clear historically what happened. And we don't, we don't need to listen to people who have an agenda Right. Yeah. To to get to to hear from them what they want us to believe happened, we can very clearly understand historically what occurred. And just like every other historical event, there's complicated aspects of that. But it's uncomplicated that what has happened here is there was a nation built in a day. It happened. Tyler's exactly right. It happened because of international consensus that this is what we should do, and that hasn't gone away despite it, the best efforts of you know, earthly and spiritual kingdoms to displace them. That yeah. hasn't gone away. Yeah. The, talking about people having an agenda, man. I mean, f people forget, like, you will never be able to appease the Muslim states regarding Israel. Like some of them no, or a certain not. administration or a certain yeah. part of them, maybe. But they, they cannot accept that Israel holds Jerusalem right. ever. Right. They cannot accept that there is an Israel nation ever. So when these people say, well, we want to hear from this, uh, he's a reasonable Muslim apologist that wants to explain why we shouldn't support Israel. It's like, what? You guys are, are a bunch of fools for listening to this. This, this has nothing to do with, 
well, this is the best thing for the political situation. And this is the reason we're getting into the politics of it is because this affects politics and I don't mind talking about it. Sure. But here's what happens. People, good, well-meaning Christians, hear people say over and over again, Israel is genociding people. They're committing war crimes. How can Christians support them? Right. That's exactly what you hear. And so what they'll say is, well, we shouldn't support everything they do. I mean, they are, you know, we do know that, you know, genocide is wrong and, and this and that. And what that, you have this reluctant support of Israel. And if you do not have a firm grounding in why we believe these things as we've been laying out throughout this whole series, then you're going to say, why do we support them again? You know, and the answer is we support them because this is their kingdom given to them as an everlasting possession. And the Lord raises up and puts down nations as he wills. And nobody, people ought to not, rather than say, that's not fair, they shouldn't have this. They ought to step back and catch their breath and say, mighty is the Lord who does this. And I'll say to those of you that are maybe of a lefty bent here, and you just, you're this bleeding heart. And like anytime you see anybody losing in a conflict, your heart automatically goes to them. You'd think that like Israel... is your dream of dreams that the ultimate oppressed people that was almost eradicated by the actual Nazis was given back their ancestral homeland. Isn't that everything that these people scream about? But of course there's... You know, there's an awful lot of uh, theater that goes well, into I wanna, this. But, I want to talk know. about that too, Tyler, because, you know, it is so tempting when we talk about these things to try and frame it in earthly terms. Well, politically, this is why you support Israel. You know, this, that reason, or this is why I don't support Israel politically. I'm really not, I used to be really into that. I'm really less into that now because, you know what, I don't support, my supporting Israel is spiritual and therefore it doesn't have to I don't have to apologize or make some sort of case for everything the state of Israel does the state of Israel is filled with corrupt politicians like any place it's filled with always sinners has and, been go back to the, yeah, to the Old Testament absolutely same thing so when you, when people come to me and say well don't you, look look at this horrible thing that happened that Israel did I, yeah I see that and my heart is also grieved that God's people continue to not obey him that doesn't change my support for Israel of a single bit because my support is, like you said, it is spiritual. It is based on the spiritual covenant that God it's has made with them. And, uh, yeah, it's right? theological. It, it's, it's not a thing of, well, it makes sense to me to support Israel because they're doing the right thing. They're not. That's not the point. The, the, in fact, the point is that, you know, you're not shaking me by bringing up, well, look at, you know, they, they treated some people really bad in Palestine. I Sure, I, I'm totally willing to believe that. And yet God has has unfinished business with them. So, yes. so my support for them isn't based on some ideological or moral purity test or because it or here let's pick on our team maybe a little more politically or because it it makes good sense for the region it's good for i don't care it doesn't matter what matters is what god has said and god is not budged on this because of how they act or because of what the geopolitical the geopolitical landscape is yeah and a lot of this too is like we're sitting from such a position of safety we're such armchair quarterbacks yes with these other countries (laughs) yes they're like we've you know the thought of like somebody firing rockets into your home hometown and hitting your your houses and stuff like you're not going to sit back and you know this is what people say who have truly like this has been the especially even back in history like the upper echelons of society have always had this like literary sympathy for the poor and it's like Oh, they only steal because they don't have food and they only riot because they're they're so heartbroken and they don't know what to do with their lives. And those of us that are down here and have been poor and it's like, (laughs) yeah, how don't tell me that. Don't tell my friends that that's not what they need to hear. Like they needed to be told to shape up, you know, so kind of got off on a rabbit trail there. But that's the kind of attitude that does this point being pastors. 
Christians, don't fall for this. Yeah. We have a theological commitment to Israel. We're willing to disagree with something they do that is wrong, but I'm not going to sit here in a settled, stated, ahistorical position Correct. that Israel falsely and through terrible crimes of war has taken hold of their homeland. That's just simply not the case, and we're, we're going to move from this now, but it, I thought it was important to talk it's about it. It's very so, important. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so that's the thing that needed to happen. The next thing that needs to happen, or, well, that, as I said, Daniel 9 presupposes will happen, right. is that there would be sacrifice and offering, that there would be a temple. And I don't want to spend an awful lot of time on this one on Zach, but there is no temple right now. No. On top of the the Temple Mount is the Dome of the Rock, yeah. which that is where they believe Muhammad ascended. Yeah, the Al Aqsa right? Mosque. Yeah, um, and you know if you if you go there, it's a it is one of the That's most the golden dome yeah. that you see in all your pictures of right. Jerusalem. Guys. It is it is one of the most heavily contested and conflicted pieces of real estate on the planet. That's one of those places that like you wouldn't be surprised. If tomorrow we found out they were fighting over it again, no. Like it's I mean, that, it's, it's when that, you yeah. go, when you go, if if very rarely we actually got to be on the mount briefly on one tour that I went on, and, and if you go, they they strictly inform you. They said you are not allowed to make a public demonstration of prayer, because this is it is illegal under under the Jewish state under the Israeli law. It is illegal because of how inflammatory it is to to, to the Muslims. So you're not allowed to publicly pray. We privately prayed because we're bad boys like that. But um, <laughs> you, uh, but yeah, you, they, like that's how conflicted it is. There there are like massive conflicts that get kicked off because a, a you know Israeli member of parliament walks across the Temple Mount when he shouldn't. And literally, I mean, that's caused problems before, like huge rioting and all this stuff. Yeah. So this is this is an incredibly conflicted space. There's no temple there. I if you were to ask me how would that happen, I would look at you. We were having this conversation in the office before. I would look at you and I'd shrug and be I'd say, there's there's no way. How could there be a temple there now? There there it's currently governed by by the Muslim, you know, uh, the Muslim government basically that is is controlling that area and and they would never allow that to happen. Yeah, and the reason I bring that up or, or you bring that up is um there's uh there's difference of opinion on this. Mm -hmm. Um you know, Daniel 9 references sacrifice and offering Jesus and Paul and so many others talk about the abomination of desolation right. definition in just a minute here um, that the Antichrist will desecrate the temple. So that means that there will be a temple. So the question becomes, is this going to be something that happens beforehand or is this going to be part of that covenant that the Antichrist makes with Israel? And that seems probably the most likely option to me Um or, you know, but, me but I mean, too. things can change so fast. I mean, you know, the you talk about 1914, right? I mean, like the world from 1910 to 1930 was like unrecognizable. And, and same thing from, you know, after World War II and, and after we went to the moon, like things can change so quickly. Um, but that's what's going to happen. So the, to without diving into all the details of this. So there's one more seven year period, one more week before Israel's history is concluded. Right. And this is going to be the time of what the Bible calls Jacob's trouble uh, that will be defined by the rise of Babylon, which is a symbolic name or a literal name, depending on how you interpret that, uh, for <laughs> the Antichrist yes. kingdom that will dominate the globe right. and make a covenant that includes Israel. And then halfway through that will be something called the abomination of desolation, where the Antichrist will march into the temple, put an end to all sacrifice, and claim that he must be worshipped as God. Right. And Jesus, in particular, in the Olivet Discourse, said that when that day comes, you guys better get out of here. 
You better run as fast as you can into the wilderness because they're going to come for you. You talk about pogroms. It's right. going to be the worst thing the world has ever seen when the Antichrist establishes himself, not just as king, but as God. And he uses Jerusalem as his staging ground. It says he'll set up a golden image, which everyone must worship or have their head cut off. And it will especially affect the nation of Israel, yeah. that that is going to happen. That, you know, we're doing in broad strokes here. We believe that the rapture will happen prior to these seven years. I, I simply am not going to touch the doctrine of the rapture today. Uh, <laughs> there, we just don't have there time. There's no time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, because we want to be a two-parter, not a three-parter here. Right. But uh, I think one, one argument I'll give you is that why do we believe that the church will be raptured? One reason among many is because this is Israel's time. Hmm. This is the time where God's people will be uh, be awakened. That's, this is a time of distress, Jeremiah said, a time of trouble for Jacob. And it answers all the questions that we've had. How, how could Israel possibly just make this national switch to suddenly recognize Jesus as a Messiah? Well, what about they get as close as they've ever been to the full restoration and then it's snatched out from under them and all of a sudden they're under a, a existential threat that they've never faced before? That, that Yes. That's interesting. That, that could do it, right? What, well, what could cause there to be a temple? Well, what about... If you had a, a, you know, global warlord who's, you know, grappling, grabbing these 10 kingdoms from the world and then kicks the door in Israel and says, ah, darn it, this is how I'm going to do it. Now you have to do this. You have to do that. And he sets up a temple and he has the power to do that. That that could do it. It's about the only thing I could imagine that would do it right now. Right. Yes. Is, is actual conflict and war. So yeah. it, it seems to answer the question, you know, funny, funny enough. Revelation seems to answer the questions of what would get us to this this place. Yeah. So if you look at. Daniel or Revelation chapter seven, it talks about the 144,000 Jews who were sealed uh, mm-hmm. and that were protected. I, uh, I, th- I think I might be moving on my interpretation of this one here, but I'm not going to get into it. No, 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 not, not, <laughs> no. not leaving the camp here. Just yeah, yeah. my opinion. I, I don't know that this is so much referring to like a, a group of superpowered witnesses that are going to evangelize the world as much as I think this might be a symbolic and I don't, I'm not saying the numbers are necessarily symbolic but a picture of the fact that God is in fact going is to preserve Israel through this time right. either that there will be an elect nation right. preserved and there are other parts of Revelation that describe this too yeah. that the woman flees into the wilderness and yes. the, the dragon sends a flood after her that there's going to be a place in the wilderness where the Israelites run to hide during these final three years when Babylon is just rampaging and slaughtering Jews and Christians all over the world some people so, believe that that's Petra right that they yes might be going it depends there. on uh, Basra is where the the Bible says that mm-hmm. the battle will take place when the Lord returns, and many people identify Basra as Petra, but out in the in the Edomite wilderness, I mean for sure, sure. somewhere in that. So if you ever seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the rock city they go mm-hmm. to at the end, yes. like that kind of place right. is where they will be hiding, uh, because the whole world is going to be you know the judgments that are about the tribulation, but uh, all of this. As Israel is being simultaneously preserved, but also destroyed all over the world. Their culture's not stolen from them. That you're, you're going to die. Right. And it's amazing that even like there are, are uh, Islamic prophecies that talk about yes, days going to come when we're going to slaughter every single Jew. And every every tree is going to say, hey, Muslim, there's a Jew hiding behind right. me. Come and yeah. shoot me. And uh, that this is what is going to happen. And I'm not saying that their prophecies are true as much as they are a lie that has been carefully prepared mm-hmm. for the, such a time as this. But uh, the worst time in human history. 
where the, the Lord will be allowing evil to have its free reign. And so if Satan gets his free reign, you better believe he's coming for Jerusalem because that's God's city right. and that's God's people. And I'm going to set up my guy as king, my Christ, my antichrist as king there. And Israel will be chased into the wilderness. And all the prophecies in the Bible that talk about Israel's restoration take place in the wilderness, which is so cool. But, I mean, it's such a tragic thing that is going to have to happen. But this is itself part of the judgment that has come upon them for crucifying Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we hit this last time, so let's just remind ourselves, you know, there's such a, a sense of sympathy for the Jews nationally, of course, after the Holocaust, and everybody's so sensitive to anti-Semitism, right? There are yeah, also many Christians yeah. that support Israel, and so pretty much anything Jewish is, you know, is good. We like it. Yeah. Well, that's not necessarily so great either. They are under judgment from the Lord. Correct. Because they have rejected Jesus, crucified the Messiah, and they're going to drink the fullness of the cup of wrath that God has for them. Yeah. And it says in Romans eleven twenty five, this will happen until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, one day... There's going to be a day when God will say, all right, that's the last Gentile saved. And then they're going to begin to call out to the Lord. So let's look at the story here. Zechariah 12. Zechariah 12 talks about the, the city of Jerusalem being surrounded and the children of Israel having fled and they're being, their cities being sacked and the women are being raped. And it's just the worst day possible. And it says in Zechariah 12, 10, talking about the last days, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. Why does God need to pour out a spirit of grace and a spirit of supplication upon Israel? Because he's hardened their heart. So Zechariah 12, 10, in connection with Romans eleven twenty five, 25, this is when it lifts. This is when the desolation lifts. When they, they cry out, this is, they will look upon me on him whom they have pierced. You talk about specific prophecies, man. Mm -hmm. That's how Jesus was killed, as they yeah. pierced his hands and feet. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Imagine at least 144,000 Israelites gathered in the wilderness, and the Holy Spirit lifts the hardness of their heart, and they, in a moment, realize we crucified Messiah. We are here hiding in the rocks. The city of Jerusalem is ravaged. The temple is defiled. They're marching at, at our gates. They're coming to destroy us once and for all. We need Messiah now. Right. And we took Messiah and pierced his hands and feet right. and nailed him to a cross. And it says they will mourn and weep like you weep for your firstborn son. That's a picture back to the land of Egypt. Because, mm -hmm. right, you know, they realized that the one thing that could cut the blood that could cover our house from the angel of death and save our firstborn, we killed. So our firstborn is, is on its way out. That's the picture there, which is incredible prophecy, even in the analogy he uses. And what's such a Can cool picture? Can you imagine such a day? What's such a cool picture is they missed their day the first time. And Jesus is weeping over them saying, you missed it. You, you, oh, yeah. I wanted to come this way, but you now I can't. I won't because you won't receive him. And now at this final day, they're the ones weeping over missing Messiah. And then he, he shows up. Yes. And he shows up in the way, in like the, you know, it's like it beats every stinking superhero fantasy story ever, right? Where he he says, "Okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna do the thing that I said you should do, if you're gonna weep for me and, and cry out for me, I'm going to show up." And he descends out of heaven 
in in the in the second coming right every for every prophecy we've ever read said now this time jesus isn't going to do this this time jesus doesn't come as a as a as a warlord this time jesus isn't coming to set up an earthly kingdom well now he is now he comes now he's doing all those things now he descends he he splits apart the mount of olives and he says i'm i'm now here to reckon with all of these people who have been assaulting my chosen people yeah and zechariah 13 1 to finish that passage he says on that day there shall be opened a fountain for the house of david and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. That is new covenant Deuteronomy 30 verbiage. Mm -hmm. He's saying that prophecy of regathering them together and restoring their hearts when they finally have called upon the Lord as an act of prevenient grace, by the way. So there you go, Calvinist. That's important to have (laughs) that there, right? That, that they're going to cry out. And so God's going to fulfill all those prophecies. Hosea 3, which prophesied the desolation, said after, Hosea 3, 5, afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, right. which is a messianic reference to Jesus. They shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. It's exactly what is going to happen. And that's when Revelation 19 happens, man. That's when Jesus rides out of heaven. And actually, if you read it carefully, he descends into the wilderness. He rides, rescues Israel. He treads the wine press and splatters himself with blood. Rides to Jerusalem, smashes the Mount of Olives apart, rides in through the Eastern Gate and destroys the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. And if you read the stories, guys, there are earthquakes that are happening. There's thunder and there's lightning. The whole world sees him. He's killing the armies of the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth. It says that Israel will fight alongside him on mm-hmm. that day, that the weakest one is going to fight like David and the strong ones are going to fight like a son of God, like an angel, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be like Jesus riding to the rescue with an army behind him and establish his throne in Jerusalem. And then comes the kingdom. Right. So they're under judgment now. Their, their hearts are hardened. They've been gathered, but they haven't really experienced the fullness of what it means to be gathered. They'll think that they finally got it through this anti-Messiah mm-hmm. who will break his word halfway through and drive them into the wilderness and, and have the sword at their throat until the Holy Spirit lifts the hardness of heart and they realize that there was a Messiah who they rejected. They'll call out to him for help. And then the Messiah who never breaks his word will return and come and rescue them and ride into Jerusalem and be crowned king there with all of the saints that have ever gone before. Some of them have already been glorified through the resurrection, according to what the rapture teaches us. And and then Jesus is going to set up that kingdom in Jerusalem forever with a capital K, that everything that has ever been prophesied for Israel will come true. And not just Israel, but for the whole world. He's going to reign from Jerusalem. They're going to have the fullness of their boundaries and all the other nations will serve and worship the Lord. This is when it says the Christians will rule and reign with Christ. For a thousand years, Israel will have their kingdom. Satan will be bound. There'll be no temptation during this time. It'll just be a time of righteousness and joy as God fulfills all those promises. And Jesus will sit as an actual, literal, you can go set an appointment with him, king on the earth. Right. My dad always jokes that he's he's trying to um, get the the beachfront property and get his branding and stuff set up for his bait and tackle shop on the shores of the Dead Sea now so that later <laughs> on when it when it becomes good real estate because the Bible it even yes, it even talks about how yeah he's he's going to all of a sudden the Dead Sea which is super dead is going to be flowing 
thing with fresh water and, and it's going to be this whole like the fulfillment of the the like even it's talk, it basically is trying to say look the land is going to be different because yes. of what Jesus is going to do so it's going to be this it's we don't we can't even really imagine what that's going to be like because we're going to be returning Th- those of us who've been raptured and with the Lord we're coming back in glorified bodies to live on the earth in this kingdom yeah. as as part of what the Lord is doing it talks about how we're going to be judging and 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 yeah, judging oh, angels and part ruling of that. and yeah. reigning and right. uh yeah what what's going to happen is during the tribulation you read about the waters being poisoned and the grass being burnt up and right. the seas being made it's into blood healed, and, yeah. and the lord's going to be healing that mm-hmm. and there's going to be righteousness established this is when it says jesus will rule with a rod of iron there will be people who survive the tribulation mm. and they will populate the new kingdom but after a thousand years there's going to be a number of them that are going to rebel because those people who have have not die during the tribulation, they will live and die like normal people. They will have children who will repopulate the earth under the, the leadership of the saints that have been resurrected already in the first resurrection. Mm-hmm. And then after those thousand years, Satan will be turned loose to tempt the nations one more time. They'll march on Jerusalem again, and Jesus will call down fire from heaven to consume them all. And that's when the earth will flee away, the heaven will be rolled up like a scroll, and the judgment will come before the great white throne. Death and hell and Satan and the Antichrist will be cast into the lake of fire. And the rest of us will go into the new heaven and the new earth. Mm. There will be a new Jerusalem with foundations named after the 12 tribes and gates named after the 12 apostles. And it's going to be a whole new adventure. Mm. And that's all done through Israel. They're the right. ones that God chose to lead the way. For all, going all the way back to Eve. says, I'm going to restore all of this. I'm going to do it through your son. He narrows it down to Noah. He narrows it down to Abraham, narrows it down to Isaac, narrows it down to Jacob and his 12 children. And that's, that's what's happened. Jesus is the fulfillment and the consummation of all these things. Now, how long until this happens? We don't know. Right. Jesus said, it's not for you to know <laughs> yep. the times or the seasons. Say I had somebody again, tell Tyler. me one time, <laughs> say it again. <laughs> they say, you know, well, we know what time of year the, the rapture will happen or we know we can, well, we kind of know like the range of years when it will. And I said, no one knows the day or the hour. So well, we can't know the day or the hour, but we can know the times or the seasons. Not realizing that that language comes from Jesus in Acts 1 saying, you can't know the times or the seasons. <laughs> right. So if anybody wants to tell you they know when the rapture is going to happen, no. Yeah. That's like one of the few like absolutely gimmies in Bible prophecy. We don't know when Jesus right. is coming back, but it's going to take the rest of the world by storm like a thief. They're not going to know what hit them. Right. But this is why we we love the Jews. It's why we love Israel. And that's why we're waiting for their redemption and their restoration because the restoration of Israel is going to mean the restoration of the whole world. Mm. Yeah, that's and, what we're waiting for. And I think, as always, when we talk about these things, the easy application, guys. If you're sitting here thinking, okay, so that's a lot of prophecy. So what, man? So what is evangelism? And, and especially, yeah, go share the gospel. yeah, for for real. <laughs> and especially, guys, let me tell you, especially when it comes to the Jewish people, don't ever let anybody. And I see this in our camp sometimes. I've heard people even say things like this. You know, you really need to be careful. It, it can be really disrespectful to the to the Jews. You know, to share to talk to them about that. Like they don't like hearing that about their, you know, they don't, they don't believe that they've had their Messiah yet. So we really need to respect. And I'm, I'm talking about from our camp, from dispensational people, from people who love Israel, but they, they've, they've loved them so much that they've forgotten. And, and this is often a very fair criticism that comes from people that are not dispensationalists. Yeah. Is they say, well, you guys don't think you should evangelize Jews. Like, well, no, we shouldn't think that. No. And the best of us don't think that, no, but it and, does get and out And I want to, for you guys to don't ever listen to that advice. Oh, you know, to really love, we need to love them and respect them and not share with them. Guys, it, 
the 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 chosen people of Israel are perishing without their Messiah. Yes, like, they are. That's they're desolate. The, the kingdom is desolate. Yeah, the only response we can have is to share with them. I don't care if they'll get upset. Why? You know that doesn't shouldn't stop you with your neighbor down the road who doesn't need Jesus. Why should it stop you for them? They they need that. They need to be confronted with it. They need to be lovingly spurred to jealousy. Yeah, nobody you know? is saved by anything other than belief in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. John the Baptist yes, said right. that God is able from the stones to raise up children yeah. for Abraham. I do not understand how certain people can believe that, well, you know, Jews, they're just going to be saved just because they're Jews. No, they're not. No, that's wrong. Nobody yeah, is. That's wrong. Nobody has any birthright advantage when it comes to faith in Jesus. Yeah. Now, Paul makes it clear they do have certain advantages, but he also makes the point, yeah, but they're not using their advantages. Right. Because if it, it should lead you, right? Your scriptures are there to make you wise in a salvation also, through isn't faith that, in Jesus. How can you read what Jesus said about it and what Paul said about it and come away with the conclusion that yes, actually, just being a child of Abraham makes you saved? Like, isn't that the opposite? Like they're saying literally the opposite. Yeah. Doesn't matter. You're a child of Abraham. Great. Like, what about your heart? You know. So no, that yeah, it's important to know that no, we don't think that we don't we don't put because we believe that they're God's chosen people doesn't mean we put them on a spiritual pedestal. Right, where somehow they're they're different. Yeah, they're not on a spiritual pedestal. No. They're, it's the opposite of that, you yeah. guys. Their hearts are hardened. Right. They're under wrath, Paul says in Thessalonians. No. And, you know, well, yo, God's brought them back in their land. Yes, but until they call upon the name of the Lord, they won't be saved. Right, and they're not enjoying any of those. That's why, you yeah, know. Are, are, they, are they at peace in that land? I no. think of, like, Gandalf in the no. Hobbit movie. Are, are, are we at peace? <laughs> yeah, no, like, they're, no you're they're, not. Not, they're not enjoying peace. Because that's what the Bible says. That was going to be, they were going to have peace on every side. Well, they don't have that. They're not, you know, and that's why, you know, sometimes I hear people defending the idea of, like, Israel's special still by saying, like, well, look at, look at all the, all the technology they've got. Look at all the smart people. That, and I'm like, that's. Not what the promises now, listen, are, guys. But, you well, know? that's part of it in that God sure, will always sure. bless them. But that doesn't affect your soul. No. Yeah, God is is taking care of them and blessing them and, and even looking after them in their exile and in their desolation. But that, guys, salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Yeah. I think we all get that. We just got to be sure. reminded of it sometimes because you hear these things and you get excited because right. it feels like it's kind of happened right in front of you. And I, I think that, that the coming of Israel into the land is what sparked the whole prophecy update thing. Is like, are we uh-huh. any closer to this yeah, happening? Right. And there's some legitimacy to that, but I, I feel like the church might need to chill on some of that just for yes. a minute because you start to look at smaller and smaller things. Like Israel coming into the land, that's a big deal. Right. But even if Israel were to be driven out of their land again tomorrow, mm. I would not mm. change my theology on this. That's a good point. All I would say is, well, they're going to be back. Yep, that's right. Uh, you know, well, right. there needs to be a temple. No, there doesn't. Though they needed to come into their land for the rapture to happen. No, they didn't. Yeah. God could have worked all of that out at the time. Yeah. They, he could have made it part of the Antichrist treaty that Israel can come back and build their temple. That's right. That he, The Lord does not need these things to happen. But when they do happen, it's almost like, okay, uh, yeah, we know that, yeah, we know, we're not, we can't know exactly when Messiah is going to come. Uh, but we do know that. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, so let's keep a close eye on Bethlehem. Right. Prophecy is supposed you know, to direct so like us. We know that it's going to happen in Israel, so let's keep a close eye. Yeah. But not everything that happens, you know, COVID and all this stuff. Like, what does it have to do with the end times? Nothing, right. guys, nothing. It's, it's it's a hard time for us to live through. And could it be the catastrophe that leads to something that could lead, you know, does, does globalization concern us prophetically? Yes, it does, because we believe that there's going to be a global empire. But until that happens... 
then we're not talking about wicked things. That's right. We're just talking about things being set up in advance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, there are people, I think what kind of happens is, and I'm <laughs> kind of off on this now here, but people who believe the Bible and believe that the Antichrist will set up a one world government with the ultimate surveillance state, right? You have to have a, ch- sure. a, a yeah. mark to buy or Clear, to sell. Scripture, yeah. Right. So that should tell us that the Lord is not a fan of that kind of thing because that's what Satan's going to do at the end. Sure. So that gets Christians very wary of globalization and wary of tracking and all this stuff. There are other people that are wary of those things for the same reason. And some of those people are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> and so Christians start hanging out with them. Yeah. And they think that yeah. my globalist concerns are the same thing as my prophetic concerns. Mm. They're not necessarily. Mm. Can they overlap? Yes. Yes, they can. But that's not necessarily true. And we need to make sure that we, we don't fall into that because some of those crazy town banana pants people that, oh, they're concerned about globalism. Well, some of them also really don't like the Jews. Yeah. And so then we start that's learning our theology from people that are not even believers. Right. Well, they talk about God sometimes. I don't care. Have they placed their faith in Jesus Christ and is there fruit in their life? Because mm-hmm. that's who we listen to. Which is why we've gone through this whole series, you guys, mm-hmm. is to try to give you a theological and biblical picture of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And we've ended with a lot of prophecy, which has been cool. Uh, we started out just looking at salvation history. That, where, how did we get here? You know, where, where are we in terms of the Bible story? Dispensational, like, where, in terms of God's story of how he's going about making the world, saving the world, where are we? And that's what we did. And then we looked at, okay, we've got these Old and New Covenants. Where do we fit in there? You know, we're not under the new Old Covenant, we're under the new one. The Old Covenant has served its purpose. Therefore, our, our third study was, okay, well, is any of it still around? What What's continued and what's not continued? Right. And we looked at that. And basically, the short answer is you don't have to keep the law, except maybe as an example of what righteousness is, because you're free indeed in Jesus Christ. You're, you're saved by grace through faith. So then we looked at, okay, well, what about Israel? And well, right now, they're desolate, and in the future... They're going to be restored and they're going to be saved. And we're going to stand there saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the Messiah, the King of Israel, our Lord Jesus. But those of you who are Gentiles, don't don't be disheartened at the fact, oh, I'm not one of God's chosen people. I'm just, I'm, I'm not an Israelite, so I'll never be as close to God. You guys, that's not how God does things. You've been mm. welcomed into his banqueting table. You've been seated on the throne with, with the son, Jesus says. You've been adopted as a child of God. There, there's no rank. There's no Jew nor Greek in the, when it comes to the cross. You are equally accepted and welcomed according to the spirit. And that's going to last an awful lot longer than the flesh. And we ought mm. to, at, at least anyway, just be grateful to be here. So, Zach, as we bring this series to a close, talking about the covenant, talking about Israel, talking about dispensationalism, a little bit of the end times here, any final thoughts you want to throw out there? I just I always feel like it's important to remember that all this stuff, It's the point is not to point us to the news or to point us to anywhere other than just looking at the Lord, looking at how great he is and what he's done, what he's promised to do, what he's going to continue to do, and then pointing us outward. Like we said, just like, okay, so if this is all, if this is where you are in the in, in world history, right, this is the moment that you're at, well, then we got to be telling people about this yeah. stuff. And to know that you, you Christian, this is what you really believe. You really believe, maybe even if you disagree with, look, if you're listening to us and you disagree with us on some of the details, we all believe that this is where we get to at the end is that Jesus comes back, right? Yeah. He's coming, Jesus is coming back for us and he's coming back soon. And if that's true, our response should be number one, awesome, right? Maranatha, like hurry Lord. Yeah. And number two, but wait just a minute. Cause there's still somebody that I've got to talk to. Yeah. And the thing that will precipitate the return of Jesus is the children of Israel crying out for mercy. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Which is why we keep an eye on it. That's right. And that's not going to happen until the Lord pours out his grace. And mm-hmm. He's gonna. there's going to be chastening that comes. And I would advise anybody listening to this, save yourself. Call upon Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Or else even, you know, your suffering will not end when you die. It'll only right. increase. And do not make the mistake of writing off Jesus like the nation of Israel did. And it doesn't matter if you've done it up to this point. There is redemption for you, just like there is redemption for them. Mm. If you will call upon the name of the Lord, bow your knee and talk to God and say, God, I believe the whole story that Jesus died and rose again and he's coming back. I commit myself to obeying you and serving you. I renounce the old life. And now on, from now on, you tell me what to do. Like a king bowing the knee to an invader. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. You swear fealty. You swear you you've watched Lord of the Rings or you know your pick your favorite Game of Thrones or Narnia or whatever like medieval show where you, I must we must bend the knee to the mm-hmm. that's what you do to be saved. Right. And to refuse to do that is to be as the Bible describes Israel so often stiff-necked. Mm-hmm. Means you won't bow your neck. You won't bow the head to the Lord and you if you say, "Well, I'm the master of my own fate. I don't bow to anybody." Then you will just not bow your way into eternal damnation. Come to Jesus and be saved, you guys. And if you are listening to this and you're Jewish and you're, you know, from that heritage and you just don't know what to think, guys, Jesus is your Messiah. And you can enter into the joy and the blessings of your Messiah today if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. I hope everybody listening to this will be encouraged to... To, to evangelize, like you said, and also just to thank the Lord that he's coming again and he's going to put all these things to rights. Yeah. And we gave some warnings today, not falling for weird political sloganeering on either side, but especially guy, those guys that are on the on the left these days that are starting to make, the, the meme of that, of, that they speak is starting to make its way over. It's like, well, you know, they're a bunch of, you know, genociders anyway. Why mm. are we, and you know, people that don't want us to send foreign aid. So what, why do we support Israel again? Because of the Bible. Right. And I don't care where the party goes or where the nation goes. I'm going to continue to stand here because I think we have demonstrated from the scriptures, this is God's people. It's their land. And he's going to come back to restore not just all of us, but to restore them so that we may all be under the fullness of the new covenant until the end of the world when we move on to the next one. Praise God. Thank you all for listening today. Hope you enjoyed this one. We've gotten some great feedback from some of you, and I hope that you will uh, continue to listen and that if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening somewhere that you'll you'll retweet it, you'll comment it, you'll post it. Uh, those things help us, guys. It really, mm-hmm. you know, one comment on one of these things like doubles or triples the number of people that are going to end up seeing it. Uh, that's how it works. So if you want to help, that's how you can help. I know it's cheesy, but that's the best way to do it. <laughs> uh, you also can help if you go to ironworksmedia.org or if you go to calvarychapeltrustful.com. Uh, you can find the new book that I wrote, Difference mm-hmm. Makers, which is out. And um, I think it's pretty good, or I wouldn't have put it out there for you. And I think you'll enjoy it. Some of you have mentioned how you've been reading it, and it's been great for you. So praise God. It was edifying for me to write it, and I know it'll be great for you too. So that's also available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. And by popular demand, I'm actually in the process of recording the audiobook now. So I agree. Uh, that'll be um, out pretty soon. I've <laughs> read it, and I don't have to be modest. It's very good, and you guys should you guys should get a hold of it. It's a really, really cool short devotional. If you're the kind of person that, uh, man, I want to get more into a specific section of the Bible, but I just get intimidated by a big, long thing. Guys, this is really good, awesome, short devotionals going through the life of Elijah. It is great. Get a hold of it. Awesome. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you listening. We'll be back next time. And who knows what we'll be talking about next time around. This went longer (laughs) than we intended. So uh, we'll see you all soon. God bless and Maranatha. Thanks, guys. Amen. Amen.